Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I want to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. It was about two years ago when I was out west mountain biking in Colorado with my son, who is an intermediate mountain biker. I was and am a beginning mountain biker. And we met up with two friends who are like expert mountain bikers to go to a downhill mountain biking park, meaning it was one of these places that was a ski place in the winter so we could ride up the ski lift with our bike, bike down so we got the fun part of biking without the bad part, the climb in my opinion. And for most of the day, I was following my friend who was an expert mountain biker over the jumps and around the curves because I wanted to see how he handled it to know if this is a too big a jump that I should go around or if it's too sharp a curve that I needed to slow down. And it was going great. We had a blast. It was a whole lot of fun. But at the end of the day, somehow I found myself leading the pack for some reason. The expert was behind me this time. We were going down a run. We'd already been down, I think more than once. When we came to this really big jump, and for some unknown satanic reason, I decided I could take that jump in that moment instead of going around it like I had the previous time. I went off the jump, and it was pro- I was probably only eight feet in the air. It felt like 28 feet in the air, but it was as if time stopped because I had this crystal clear moment of thinking where I said to myself, I'm not going to land this jump. Yeah, I wasn't laughing, and my bike kind of turned sideways in midair. I landed on my shoulder, rolled several times, and I could tell I was injured. They called the ski patrol lady. She came. She looked at my collarbone and said, there is, quote, a noticeable deformity in your shoulder. I don't know if anyone's ever looked at your body and used the phrase noticeable deformity, but it was not an encouraging moment. So they take me down to the ER. I didn't want to text my wife yet because I knew there wasn't something drastically wrong. I was going to be okay in the long run. I wanted to prognosis first. I did think it would be fun to text a mountain bike buddy of mine a selfie of me in the ER, which he immediately turned and texted my wife, how bad is it? She said, who and what are you talking about? (laughs) But two surgeries, one piece of metal, and 10 screws later, I have a working collarbone. But I will never forget that moment in the air of knowing this is not going to end well. Now, you may not mountain bike, but we all know that feeling of this situation is not in my control. What in your life right now is out of your control? Is it your parenting where you know, I have no idea what I'm doing? <laughs> for some of us, it's, it's money where this isn't enough for this. For others, it's marriage where you thought things were fine, but he just told you it's not, and you're not sure what's going to happen next. For others, it's health. You have a diagnosis out of nowhere. You don't know what's going to happen? Is it your family? You recently learned news that changes the family dynamic. You don't even know if people are going to get together for the holidays now. Is it your dating? You think you're a pretty good catch, but online dating world doesn't seem to agree. The older I get, the more I realize how little I actually control. You can't control politics. Even if your party wins, you can't control what they do once in office. Here's a sentence I've never heard. My candidate won, so now my life is perfect. 
You can't control your team. They're undefeated right now, unless you cheer for Indiana, but something won't go well this year. Sometimes it's not what you can't control, it's who you can't control. You can't control your spouse. You can't control their spiritual disciplines, their work ethic, how they talk to you, what they do with their time, how they respond when they're angry. You can't control your kids from making poor choices. You can't control your parents from being manipulative. You can't control your coworkers from being lazy. You can't control your friends from their insecurities. In fact, the mental health experts say one reason the COVID pandemic was so hard on us is it revealed to each of us how little we actually do have control of. Social scientists have a theory that people with control issues are actually more likely to believe conspiracy theories, which means the next time that crazy uncle sends you that weird forward of an email, it's just him trying to make sense of the world, they say. Last week, I was out of control. I went to the Kentucky State Fair, took my dad and my son. We end up going to this juggling show that seemed like it would be fun, and it was pretty entertaining. There's about 300 people in the audience watching, when all of a sudden he said, hey, I need two grown men volunteers. Well, obviously, I am not going to volunteer for this, but I got very scared very quickly because I, as I looked around, it seemed to be senior citizen morning at the fair, and there were approximately two grown men in the audience who weren't of that age. My son is pointing at me incessantly, so I ended up on stage as the volunteer for the juggler. I had to hold his tall unicycle for him to jump on top of it. Then I had to hand him his knives. He told me, hand me my knives with flair. I don't even know what that means. You want to see a video of it? I would never show you a video of that because I'm out of control. We live in a world where we don't have control, but scripture makes a consistent promise about what you can have when not in control. We're going through the fruit of the spirit listed in Galatians chapter five as a church. We talked about love and joy. Scripture promises us peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 26 says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. Jesus says, my peace, I leave with you. And it's easy to have peace when things are going well. But the promise of Jesus, the promise of scripture throughout is that you can have a supernatural peace when things are not going well, when things are out of control. So we're gonna turn to Philippians chapter four in the Bible, a letter Paul, the apostle, wrote to the church in Philippi and learn about this peace that is a fruit of the spirit. Here's our passage for today. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Here's something interesting about this passage. In the Kindle, you know, you can highlight passages in any book in the Kindle. Well, there's a Bible on Kindle, and Amazon says that the number one most highlighted passage in the entire Bible is these two verses. So let's break it down. It starts with, don't worry about anything. That word worry literally means a divided mind. You're thinking about this and this and this and this and this. That's worry. I say it like this. Worry is meditating on what ifs. 
What if they cheat on me? What if I never get married? What if my kid doesn't follow Christ? What if I can't have kids? What if I don't make the team? What if I'm stuck in this job forever? What if the family drama blows up at the holidays? What if the diet doesn't work? What if they accuse me of something I didn't do? What if my car breaks down? What if I get injured? What if I get prosecuted? What if I get in an accident? What if we can't afford it? What if that promise of God isn't true? What if I have a bad sickness? What if the sickness comes back? What if I go to church hoping for peace and all the preacher does is give me more things to worry about? Meditate means to think something over and over. And worry is to meditate on what ifs. So I like this word, instead. Because he says, don't worry about anything. And if you are a worrier, if you struggle with anxiety and someone says, hey, don't worry, that doesn't help you. So Paul says, instead, I'm gonna give you something else to do. Now we'll get to the application in a second, but the result of the application is this. You'll experience God's peace. And we want that. Notice, he doesn't say, don't worry, because there's nothing to worry about. Scripture never says that. In fact, Jesus' most famous sermon, he ends the Sermon on the Mount by saying, listen, build your life on the foundation of the rock, because when, he says, not if, when the storm comes, You need that foundation so the house you've built survives. There's an old preacher story, it's kind of cheesy, but I'm gonna use it anyway, of an art gallery that had a contest to see what artists could best depict peace. Third place went to a picture of a meadow and a valley, and it was just wavy grass and a blue sky with some birds flying by and a village off in the distance, it was peaceful. Second place went to a painting of a baby sleeping in his mother's arms. That's peaceful. First place, though, was really confusing at first glance. You had to study it because it was a big storm and you saw the waves crashing against a cliff. You saw lightning streaking in the sky. You could see the effect of the wind and the rain was blowing sideways. It was a relentless storm that seemed it wasn't gonna let up anytime soon. But when you looked very closely there in the corner and a little ledge on the cliff were three little chicks asleep covered by its mother's wings. And it was called peace in the storm. That's what scripture promises. One of the reasons we celebrate communion every week as a church is to remind ourselves when we come in these rooms, whatever storm I'm in, Jesus can give me peace. So I wanna talk quickly about taking meds for worry and peace. There is no command in scripture that forbids taking medicine for mental health. And that's really important to understand. I hope that you would not hesitate to take a pill for your physical pain that a doctor prescribes. I hope you wouldn't hesitate to take a pill for mental health that after talking to a doctor in depth and praying about it and talking to Christians who know your story and care about you, that it seems like the right thing to do. At the same time, we have to be careful that's not our first option or our only option for escape. I loved Kyle's book, When Your Way Isn't Working. I hope you read it if you haven't. But he talked about this. He quoted Joseph Calafino Jr. in his book, High Society. And at the time he wrote that, he said he was the chairman of the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia. Here's what he wrote. Chemistry is chasing Christianity as the nation's largest religion. 
Indeed, millions of Americans who in times of personal crisis and emotional and mental anguish once turned to priests, ministers, and rabbis for keys to the heavenly kingdom now go to physicians and psychiatrists who hold the keys to the kingdom of pharmaceutical relief or to drug dealers and liquor stores as chemicals and alcohol replace the confessional as a source of solace and forgiveness. And Kyle added, instead of considering whether the anxiety we feel is an indication that there could be something in our life that isn't working and needs attention, we sometimes take meds to help us ease that feeling. And I thought to a personal memory when I read that two years ago, I went to my counselor and said, hey, I want some meds for my mental health. He said, well, we have doctors in our practice who can prescribe that. Tell me why you want to do that. And I said, well, I'm facing this hard thing and it's overwhelming. He said, well, I want to make sure you wouldn't be using those for escape. And that's what he meant. He said, medicine is helpful if the chemistry is messed up. And sometimes people, their chemistry is messed up and they need to be on medicine for the rest of their life. He said, sometimes people are so overwhelmed by what's in front of them, they need medicine for a short time so they can calm down to be able to deal with that and then they can go off to move on. So he said, Carl, if you need medicine for mental health, we'll prescribe that. However, he said, I don't want to give you that if you're just thinking you can use that to not deal with the hard thing in front of you. He said, well, I didn't like you either. I'm finding it, no, I didn't see So please hear me, don't go off your meds today. Don't go off your meds today, okay? Don't do that. Uh, if you would ever consider that, talk to your doctor, talk to Christians who know and love you, pray about that. But here's my challenge for all of us. Don't use anything, whether it's pills, alcohol, screens, food. Don't use anything to avoid facing the hard thing that God wants you to face. The goal is not to numb pain. The goal is to experience God's peace. Paul adds that God's peace is peace that exceeds anything we can understand. Any parent knows that bad feeling at some age when, you, when your kid's homework exceeds anything you can understand. I remember this past school year when I got home from work one day and my wife is in the kitchen probably getting dinner ready for us all. My son's sitting there at the island doing his homework and my wife says, hey, he needs help with his math homework. I can't figure it out. And I think, well, math's my specialty. Let's go. So I get up next to him and we start looking at it. He said, dad, that's not how you do it. So I tried to do it another way. And I, could, I, I said, I don't know how to figure this math homework out. And he's looking at me smiling like, come on, dad, I know you're just pulling my leg. Like, what's the right answer for real? And then as it, it slowly dawned on him that I literally did not know the answer, he had this expression on his face as if the facade of who he thought his father was was falling to the floor and shattering in that moment. And he said, you don't understand fifth grade math? I said, they changed fifth grade math. but it exceeded anything I could understand. <laughs> but this verse is a defining characteristic of the Christian. This is a key way the world looks at you and knows you are different because it does not make sense that you should have peace while you have this illness. 
And it doesn't make, not make sense that you have peace after the breakup. And it doesn't make sense that you have peace when layoffs are coming. It doesn't make sense that you have peace during finals. It doesn't make sense that you have peace when the bill just came due. But Paul promises, with scripture throughout promises, that that kind of peace is possible and active for every believer. And one of the best ways for you to take Jesus to a non-believing world is probably not for you to study and memorize the philosophical arguments for the existence of God. Rather, it is for you to be open with your non-believing friends about the pain you are in right now about what that storm is, but you're so connected to the vine, you are so connected to Jesus that they see how much peace you have and they say, if that's what Jesus does, I want some of that. And again, this peace is like our faith at large. It's based on the empty tomb. Because I kind of understand if someone doesn't believe Jesus rose from the dead, why you would just turn to anything to numb. I'd do the same thing. I get it, but Jesus' resurrection exceeded what we could understand also, and because he rose, we know the promises from the New Testament about peace are true. Look at them. John 16, Jesus says, you may have peace in me. Second Thessalonians three, now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. Colossians three, let, like don't fight against it, let, the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Romans 8, letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. 1 Corinthians 14, God is not a God of disorder, not of your mind going all these directions, but of peace. John 14, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. Now that sounds good, but how do we get it? Well, Paul tells us. He says, pray about everything. I love that phrase because it endorses what is kind of our instinct to do everything. And here's what this actually means. During football season this fall, you're going to face, you're going to be watching with a group of people and you're going to face a situation with your team where they are down big in the fourth quarter, so big that you're going to say out loud, you know, it's going to kind of take a miracle from God at this point for us to win. I think I'm just going to pray that God intervenes with divine intervention right now so we can win. And the person next to you is going to put on their self-righteous hat and they weren't at church today. And they're going to say, I don't think God cares about football. And you're going to say, oh, actually I learned at church that Paul teaches us in Philippians 4, pray about everything. So dear Jesus, help my team win. Amen. And I'm kind of joking, but the phrase says pray about everything, right? Look at it. First Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Romans 12, keep on praying. Ephesians 6, pray at all times. And Paul doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just say pray. He tells us what it looks like. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Let's say that out loud together. One, two, three, go. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Do it again, one, two, three, go. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Now, I've been using the NLT. I wanna switch over to something else. I'll just label our selfish version is what I like to call it. And because this is what we actually wanna do, we wish it said, tell God what you want and complain to him about what he's done. We say, God, I have a car that works, but it's making that weird sound. It's probably gonna cost me a lot of money, so I really want a new car, God. And God, he gave me that spouse I prayed for, but you need to make him less critical. And God, he got me this college program, but nobody told me it was gonna be this hard. I can't do a part-time job in college and make A's. You need to do something. And God, I'm finally living on my own, but this apartment stinks. You need to give me something bigger. And God, I wanted grandkids, but my kids stink as parents. You need to make them improve. That's what we tend to do. 
But Paul says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. So let's just take each phrase. Tell God what you need. This is hard because we don't always know what we need, right? I am very in tune with the dangers of social media. And I try to stay aware of that and read the newest studies on that, both for myself and to protect my family. So my daughter's 16th birthday was coming up this summer, just a couple months ago, and we had not yet let her have Instagram for all of these dangers out there. And she, as she was approaching 16, started laying on pretty thick. You know, she was talking about the connections it makes, and she was appealing to both my mind and my heart and telling me how much she needed Instagram. And we gave it to her for her 16th birthday with some, what I think are healthy boundaries. But on one level, I, I started to roll my eyes at the thought that she needed Instagram. But then I kind of looked inward and I thought, you know what? I bet God could roll his eyes at some of the things I tell him I need, right? God, I need you to change a circumstance. God, I need you to heal them, do it. God, I need you to fix this situation, it's broken. God, I need you to stop them. And I know God is more concerned with who I am than what I do. And I know, we know God is more concerned about our character than what we have or what we accomplish, but we still feel like we need it. And I know his wisdom is better, but I still feel like I know. This is one reason that Jesus' prayer in the garden is so helpful. Right before he's illegally arrested and uh, tortured, he prays this, Abba, Father, everything's possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He says, Father, I need you to do it another way, please. But he says, Father, I trust you. I know you're sovereign. So whatever you unfold, I'll follow. So we tell God what we need. Second, Paul says, thank him for all he's done. Remember, we want to complain for all he's done. That's what our selfish, sinful nature wants to do. God, why didn't you do that? How come you are doing this, right? But Philippians 4 goes on to say, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent, I'm worthy of praise. In prepping for this message, I listened to a book called Switch On Your Brain by Dr. Caroline Leaf. And it's all about neuroplasticity, the ability that when you think certain thoughts, it reinforces the connections in your brain. And when you don't think certain thoughts, those connections are weakened. And multiple times throughout the book, she kept coming back to this verse, Philippians 4, 8, to say, if you follow Christ and have God's spirit inside you and obey Philippians 4, 8, it literally changes the physiology of your brain and can heal your brain. Anything you're happy for, thank God for that gift. So I decided to go through the alphabet and give you a list of things I'm thankful for to maybe just kind of stir something in you. I'm thankful for animals. I'm thankful for babies, bikes, boats, books, and big red soda. I'm thankful for cars, coworkers, and Chipotle. Thankful for dogs, not cats. I'm thankful for exercise, family, and friendships, golf, the movie Gladiator, and the gym a house I love, 
I'm thankful for Imagine Dragons, Jesus, of course. I'm thankful for Kyle Eidelman, of course, Louisville Cardinals, music and Mexican food, the national parks, the ocean, my phone, police who keep us safe, the pool in the summertime, quarterback Lamar Jackson, <laughs> thankful for roses, Rocky Mountains, and running. I'm thankful for Snowy Days, Scripture, the TV show Survivor, and sex, not in that order. I'm thankful <laughs> for Thanksgiving, the ukulele that my son plays, vanilla ice cream, my wife, Lindsay, x-rays for broken collarbones, you are church. You wanna guess what Z is? No, it's Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, my current favorite video game. But God has given you legit blessings. So thank him for every good and perfect gift that he's given you. Each day do you thank him for what he's done. In fact, I found some Psalms that were pretty similar in studying for this message. I wanna show you, and I, there was more I couldn't even fit on one screen. Psalm 59, each morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. Psalm 92, it is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning. Psalm 143, let me hear of your unfailing love each morning. And here's what I know. I'm not too bright, but I know if scripture says one time something that it's authoritative and I need to listen. If it says it over and over and over, it's kind of a big deal. So multiple psalmists say the same two things. They start the day with gratitude, morning, morning, morning. And as they're grateful, they focus on God's grace, unfeeling love, unfeeling love, unfeeling love. Kind of reminded me of something Pastor Jonathan Moynihan said. He said, start each morning with three things you're grateful for from the previous 24 hours, be specific, and one thing you're thankful for about having grace from the previous 24 hours. And it's very simple, but it's a way to obey Philippians 4. Thank God for what he's done. I may not know you, but here's what I do know. You have so much to be thankful for. You may say, Carl, my life's falling apart right now. I believe you. You still have so much to be thankful for. So even as you tell God what you need, thank him for what he's done. One time Jesus heals 10 people with a skin disease. They go off, be healed. One of them comes back to say thank you. Jesus laments to his disciples, where's the other nine? But he brags about the one. Will you be the one who thanks Jesus? So he turns to angels in heaven and says, hey, look at that one who's grateful. Tell God what you need, thank him for what he's done. I travel around to different campuses most every week. I was at our Prospect campus two, three weeks ago maybe when our campus pastor Mark got on stage and bragged on one of the students at Prospect. I asked him if I could share it with every campus today. Cameron Levine just started eighth grade. In April of last year, she was diagnosed with lymphoma, a form of, form of cancer. And she's been fighting that, in some ways is still fighting that. During her treatment, her community, her crew, wanted to show her that they had her back, that they loved her, that they were praying for, but they weren't allowed to physically visit her. They said, well, that's not gonna stop us. Her hospital room overlooked the roof of the parking garage, so multiple times her different crews showed up on the roof of the parking garage to show her, we love you, we're praying for you, 
We've got your back. You are not alone. Small group did the same thing. She was inundated with support as she was stuck in the hospital room for treatment. She eventually got to go home, but is still fighting a couple different things. And recently, she sat down to talk about that. I want you to learn from one of our students right now. Watch this. The first thing that we noticed was when we were at a um, Louisville Cards basketball game. And, um, and I went up with my dad to go get concessions. And I almost like passed out just waiting in line. Like I suddenly could barely feel my legs. And um, he told me like my face turned purple. And like, it just, it was not like a fun moment. Everybody around me was like looking at me just like, is she okay? When we went to the doctor, they like, we got all the, um, we got all like different tests done. And then we saw it in the x-ray. These are my beads of courage and they kind of show my whole story. On the sixth round of chemo was um, my mucositis bead. So mucositis is kind of like your entire mouth being super sore, like both sides of my tongue were super red and um, I went six days without eating or drinking anything. I had to have like IV. So my favorite verse that kind of got me like that I looked to a lot during treatment was Isaiah 43.2. That is, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. So just when you're going through hard times, like God is there for you and he's by your side to help you through like whatever you're going through. And I kind of use that like throughout my entire journey. It's like really refreshing just to know that like there's a bunch of people praying for you and it's it's really nice because like even even before um, my first surgery like the only thing that called me was like just praying because just it really helped me just to know like okay like we're asking for help and it's like God's got this. My like friendships have like really helped because they're it's just it's nice to know like that they're always there for you and they like they'll help you whenever you need it. Even in like the hard times, it's fun to know God is always with you and he's like always going to be by your side when you need him and some of the things that like I'm going to continue to always turn to is just praying, listening to Christian music and just turning to like my favorite verses. It's like just really helpful. So kind of just like some words that helped me are so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. So basically what that just means to me is like, you, you can be like worried about things, but just to know like he will protect you or like he is there for you and you, you don't need to be worried because he's got your back. Yep. Cameron, thank you for being a good example to our church family and Prospect Campus. Great job loving her and her family. Keep that up. Cameron's gotten a lot of good news, but the way you can pray for her is continued health because due to side effects of treatment, she's still facing things that they have to watch out for. Cameron's learned her life isn't in her control. And I hope you caught it that she's living out what Paul teaches in Philippians 4. She tells God what she needs. She said, we're asking for help and God's got this. And she's thanking God for what he's done. She said, my friendships have helped. 
They're always there when you need it. And the hard times, God's always there. And her story leads us to the last phrase in today's scripture we can't skip over. It says, as you live in Christ Jesus. So here's a caveat today. You've got to live in Christ Jesus. Remember week one of this series, it's not self-improvement, it's spirit empowerment. And that word live is a present tense verb. It means you're actively following and submitting to and loving and worshiping Jesus, which means if you do not live in Jesus, you will not know peace. All you can do is escape. All you can do is numb. All you can do is distract. And your mind will continue to be divided between what you know you should do and what you've chosen to do, and you live as an enemy of God. So if you're, if you're over chasing peace and not being able to find it, will you humble yourself? Will you repent, choose faith, and be baptized to call on the name of the Lord to be saved? Will you stop having a divided mind and have a mind that's focused on Jesus Christ instead. If you live as an enemy of God, make peace with God so you can have the peace of God. And if you do live in Christ Jesus, the reminder today is that the peace is yours. The waves of grief may crash and the winds of doubt may swirl and the reign of pain seems unending. But Jesus covers you with the wings of his grace and peace. I stood at the funeral home this week next to a new widow. She had tears, but she said, Carl, you know that peace we talk about? It's real. It is a peace that exceeds your understanding. And we know it is true because the tomb is empty. So right now, close your eyes. Take a deep breath in and out. thinking just of the past 24 hours, thank God for some things he's done. Be specific, do that silently right now. live at the other part of the application just silently with your eyes closed tell God what you need Father in heaven we think we know what we need so we're asking you and one of those things we as a church family pray is for Cameron that you will 
bring her to 100% full health, even free of side effects of treatment. We pray that. God, there's a lot of us who have storms. And we pray that we will leave here reminded that because we have you, we have peace. God, some of us are in an easy time right now. We help us be thankful for all the things you've blessed us with. Thank you most of all for Jesus, that no matter what goes on in the world, we have peace. It is in his name that we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.